I'm Nate. I'm Ethan. And this is the Rebellion episode. Wow. I was actually going to say, I was thinking about maybe going like really dramatic with it. I, I thought you were going to sing or something. Rebel. No. But um, the reason we did that is our movie of the week is Star War, uh, Rogue One, A Star Wars Story. Which That's is the very one. much about a rebellion. It is. It was awesome. Um, our album is Foo Fighters, There Is Nothing Left to Lose. And our beer is somewhat connected. It's Satisfaction Jackson because... We've been waiting a long time for this movie. Whenever you wait for a long time for a movie, it's always very satisfying. Well, you hope it's satisfying. Well, you hope so. And I think... It could just suck. Without spoiling either of our reviews early, uh, I think we were both quite satisfied with the film. But uh, And I, I'll, I should say, too, I'm uh, uh, suffering from a cold, albeit a, a very minor one. So if I sound different, I promise you it's me. Same fella. Just, uh, you know, a little bit of... Uh, nasal grossness going on same beats different streets that's the one so i thought it was kind of funny you picked this beer satisfaction jackson because a couple weeks ago i was just looking for random beer and i picked this out and i drank a six pack of these over the course of a couple days yeah so i thought it was pretty awesome that you picked it up for this great minds think alike because it's an awesome beer it is it's good stuff from ale asylum out of my hometown madison they're on the east side. I'm a west side kid. Oh. Um, but uh, the Satisfaction Jackson is a full frontal assault on the taste buds. It's dramatic. Uh, the massive amounts of Centennial hops, three pounds per barrel, mm-hmm. to be exact, uh, don't tickle the taste buds as much as they beat them into submission. If hop makes you hops make you hide, and bitterness sends you cowering into the corner, steer clear of this pop monster. Pleasure, check. Pain, check. Satisfaction, Jackson. See, I don't see any uh, indication on the bottle or, and at least on any websites I've looked of an IBU unit, but uh, I can say with confidence that it's a very bitter IPA. And of course, we've talked about this before, when you get into those double, that, that double designation for an IPA, you're, you're looking at some serious bitterness. And uh, I, I think this is a beer where they're not necessarily going for balance, although I would argue... I think this is a pretty well balanced. Yeah, beer. I, that's why I like it. Is that it's very even keel for how, but what a hot bomb it is. But you can sit here and say that. But if you know you're not into IPAs or if you're first getting into them, this would be shocking to drink. I that's think. true because it's it's insanely hoppy. Yeah, but I love the the graphic on there too. It's like this dude with like Einstein looking hair just sticking out of his head and with his stunk tongue sticking out. It kind of reminds me of something out of like. Um, 
Like Wizard of Oz or something. <laughs> yeah. Three but, uh, pounds per cent of Centennial per, per barrel. So that's per a little barrel. bit bigger than a keg, but... That's still a, it's a lot of hops. And, sen- and I think the last beer we did was Centennial IPA, which also uses the Centennial Same hops. Same uh, variety. Same one. I actually got the canned version of that for Christmas to kind of be my, you know, drinking beer. So when I'm not like drinking, drinking liquor, beer? I can drink beer. In between. In between. In, in between glasses of whiskey and yep. scotch. I actually did tequila this year. What? I'm going to drink tequila on the rocks. Got some Don Julio. My, my father has an extensive whiskey collection that I plan on uh, dipping, that up. dipping my face into. Popping a few corks. Just got to get through a couple more days of work. Yeah, damn it. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, this is so hard. I'm sitting here drinking a beer, and I just had a shot of rye whiskey before. Yum. Biz. <clears throat> yeah. So, uh, rebellion, that is, uh, the definition is, it is a noun. It's an act of, of violent or open resistance to an established government or ruler. Uh, the action or process of resisting authority, control, or convention. So what does rebellion mean to you? You know, I think it's one of those words that is pretty well, the definition kind of encapsulates everything. But, you know, I guess what i what, trying to venture out, I think of, you know, something more relatable to somebody like me, like teenage rebellion or, or something. You know, when I was younger, I, I had those those rebellious urges. And I think that's sort of the most basic level of uh, rebellion that somebody can uh, can go through because uh, I think it can obviously uh, uh, waver quite a bit and become quite a bit more intense all the way from, you know, some angry teenager somewhere who wants to listen to Slipknot to because it's different and it's rebelling against the norm all the way up to you know something like we see in a very fantastic setting in the movie we're going to talk about today rogue one that's quite literally about um you know an entire group of people and for lack of better term for the time being a species and race of people whose way of life is threatened so they're rebelling against the new status quo and and, uh, i think it's a it's one of those things that it's good. It can be good or bad because, you know, sometimes it, I guess it depends on what side of the rebellion you're on. If you're rebelling, you clearly are, 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 are you think you're on the right and how it's being done is in the wrong. But if you're the one being rebelled against, I'm sure you hear things like, oh, these, these miscreants out there trying to change up the way things are. And it's, it's just one of those kind of hot and cold words where there's good and bad sides to pretty much everything. Yeah. When I kind of, I kind of think like, and I did, I kind of went the same way you did with the teenage rebellion. I came up with riot for some reason. My mind kept going to like riot, like rebellion, riot. But like rebellion is kind of an innocent thing when you're a teenager. But when you get older, like rebellion isn't necessarily a good thing. Like the fact that you're rebelling against like a government, for example, doesn't usually end well historically. But um, yeah, it's kind of a, it's an interesting. I kind of reacted to what you said about hot and cold, or like good and bad type of thing. Because it can go, it can go like either way, you know. Yeah. It's it's one of those one of those words that, you know, you talk. You look at like some of the like more developing nations. They've they've had rebellions, and some of them amounted to something. Some of them didn't. Um, that's kind of it's an, again an interesting word. Well, I think a good recent example is uh, from the last like five or so years was Egypt. How <laughs> oh, there was the big uh, rebellion. I believe it was some sort of coup against the the military regime that was in control of the country and. 
they were overthrown and tried to make their own order, but that kind of fell through. And ever since then, it's sort of just been in shambles. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's how, unfortunately, a lot of these things go. And not saying that, uh, you know, there shouldn't be rebellion to avoid things like that, because there's, a, in my opinion, there's absolutely justified reasons to, to rebel against the status quo. But, um, yeah, it's not an easy thing to do, yeah. certainly. I mean, you're talking about the, the very nature of a rebellion is to be in part in a group of perhaps a smaller group of people who feels like the majority is doing them wrong in some way. So by nature, that's hard to bounce back from, uh, which is why rebellions can be so dramatic and violent, I think, in, in a lot of ways, because mm-hmm. you're... Again, you're, you're by nature talking about a smaller group of people trying to stand up to a larger group. Yeah. It's usually, yeah, it's kind of that's a good way to think of it, but it's crazy. And the Ukraine, too, is another area that some rebellions going on in, too. So. Absolutely. So on to our high-priority news items. Uh, the Season 3 FX, uh, or F- FX has announced Season 3 of the hit show Fargo is now uh, in development. Uh, the casting announcements are incoming uh, Scott McNary, Michael Stuhl, Stuhlbarg, mm-hmm. uh, Ewan McGregor, and Mary Elizabeth Winstead are set to star in season three. Big hit. I still haven't seen it. Yeah, I've seen the first season and a half, and I'll be honest, I, I didn't really care for it. Uh, it seemed like a show I, I, I would have liked, but I just kind of felt like it was very uh, thematically... It was just too similar to the, the movie for me, but you know, I'm in a very small minority, and I felt like we should talk about it because it is such a popular show. And I will say that I think it's an in, it's a unique show in that it took a you know when I first read about you're turning the movie Fargo into, into a, show, a TV show, yeah. like it seems kind of ludicrous. And while I wasn't a big fan of it, it's a huge hit. It was well, it's been well received critically. There's, I mean, the names you're talking about: Ewan McGregor, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, Michael Stuhlberg, who we've seen in a couple of big movies just this year. Um, I mean, these are huge names. And the last season had, uh, what's her name? Kristen. Uh, Dunst? Kristen Dunst. Yeah. And uh, what's his face? Patrick. <laughs> I'm really bad at the names right now. The dude who was the night owl in Watchmen. I can't remember his name and I feel bad about it. But uh, anyways, the, the shows ha- have had a lot of talent. Oh, Billy Bob Thornton and Martin Freeman were in season uh, season one. Wow. So, uh, I mean, it's it's a pretty stacked show. And I was reading a little bit about the plot and, and I guess following in what we could say Fargo franchise history. It sounds like a pretty quirky, strange story about people in small town midwest sort of going through the ringer in some pretty extreme situations Hmm. Uh, and of course we reviewed the movie fargo which i think we both agreed is is pretty interesting and i think the show for me too much follows the the thematic grounds to where i just feel like i'm seeing the same thing over and over again yeah but uh i don't know awesome it's it's a big yeah and it's a big i mean the ratings are insane yeah it's popular so fx yeah, and I mean, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, she was in 10 Cloverfield Lane. She was a- excellent in that movie, I thought. so. And Ewan McGregor is one I'm sort of most curious about. You know, we have a, a British fella. I guess Martin Freeman was British, too, from the first season. But, uh, you know, I think Star Wars and I think Ewan McGregor because, you know, he's Obi-Wan Kenobi in the prequels. Yep. He's been in a, in a ton of stuff, so it's kind of, I don't know... There's, there hasn't, haven't been any, at least any American programs that he's really had a huge part in. So this kind of seems, again, we could have that discussion about what's better, TV or movies right now. And just this cast alone makes me think like this. These, this group of people in a movie would be something. But yeah. we're talking about a TV show here. Which is a different realm. 
Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Pretty crazy. Yeah. Mary Elizabeth Winstead, too, is actually, she's got a, a big passion for singing. Believe really? it or not. She's trying to kind of create herself as a, a singer. Singer. Huh. Uh, she just did a song with Portugal the Man. I don't remember what it was called. I listened to it. It was pretty decent. Huh. Can't really tell it's her. It sounded auto-tuned as hell, but Oh, hey. well, that's not singing. Yeah. Um, and an RIP, real sad one, Alan Thick, uh, father and star of the popular series Growing Pains, died unexpectedly at the age of 69, another loss in 2016. Um, apparently he tweeted 20, 20-ish minutes, probably. It was very, very close. close to one. I, I had at least read that he had died, so it was kind of a one, two, three type deal. But uh, yeah, bummer. He was a guy who, I've never watched Growing Pains, but he's been in a couple movies I really liked. There's a... Uh, a comedy that absolutely bombed and everybody hated it, but it's one of my favorite movies called The Goods Live Hard, Sell Hard that yeah. came out, God, probably eight or nine years ago, and he has a, a very small role in it and just a, just a couple lines, but they're just embedded in my brain, so I just instantly thought of that. And, uh, you know, there was a loud reaction to it. A lot of celebrities uh, were tweeting about it and discussing it, and they showed up to the memorial. He was a family man, so, you know, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. And he really wasn't uh, wasn't that old, so... He had a, a young son, or a son. I think he, I mean Robin Thicke, the singer, is his son. He's a little bit older, and I believe he has one son who's like eighteen or nineteen as well. I would have to look. I don't really know that much, but uh, everything I had read after he died talked about how he was very close with his family. So yeah, it's not sad. an easy thing to go through. No, it's not. And yeah, he was. I mean, he, he was in a few other things. He he was good in his like I don't want to say like older age because he was only sixty nine when he passed, but like for his comedic value. I always yeah. thought he was very effective in that realm. So yeah, he was one of those guys who, you know, somebody like me, since I'm not a big uh, Growing Pains fan, uh, I'm not super familiar with him. But that was, a, I mean, Growing Pains was a huge show. So the second I saw his face, I was like, oh, that guy, that sucks. But uh, yeah, just you know, check out his list of filmography, his filmography and TV list. He was in an absolute heap of of stuff. So he was he was a veteran actor and a very talented fella and. Uh, he died pretty pretty young, so pretty it's sad. Young. Heart attack couldn't, happens. Couldn't escape 2016. No. Pretty close. The year of reckoning. That is. 2016. A lot of yeah, a lot of big losses. And then yeah. again, I'll bet you anything, 20 well, 20 we didn't we did it in 2015. I don't remember that many like RIPs. I think you know what, and ever since this, even I, I check on IMDB and Twitter a lot for different news feeds, and I feel like every day I've seen this person died, that person died, and, and I think a lot of them I'm seeing were big actors in like the 50s and 60s. And I think maybe in any other year, and I'm not saying this is right or wrong, this is just how it's being reported. I don't feel like a lot of these deaths would be news. And again, that's not a judgment about anybody. I just quite honestly think uh, we're hearing about it more because it's been such a topic of discussion this year. But on the other hand, you know, we live in an era where pop culture has been so saturated in our regular culture and day, daily lives for, I mean, since the 40s and 30s, I mean, music and movies and all that stuff has been a part of American lives for so long that we're getting to a point where people who were born at the dawn of these things and spent their whole life in the spotlight, well, it's getting to be the end of some of their lives. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it's going to slow down. I mean, we're just to that age where we're so surrounded by these people that eh, yeah. it's just going to be constant. And if... If there's anything positive to be said about it, maybe some people will start, you know, thinking about it a little bit more and, and maybe we won't treat death as this big secret we all have to brush under the 
Under the under, rug. Under the rug until yeah. we inevitably face it someday. <laughs> yeah. I, I kind of get a kick out of like some news producer being like, death is really hot this year. Yeah, like, see, that's report crazy. Report more death. Like, yeah, let's find, okay, who died? Let's... But I see it, though. Yeah, oh, yeah. And it's, it's I, I feel like anytime I scroll through my different news applications, it's always like a few different people have died on a given day. I mean, artists, could... too, have been, like, there's a lot of artists and visual artists and yeah. people that have died. So, yes, indeed. So, RIP, though. Alan Thick. Yeah, Tough I mean, stuff. I, we kind of are conforming to the whole reporting yeah we are now too but it's just one of those things where hey we're we try to talk about some of this stuff and uh at this point it's been so uh rapid fire that hey we have to bring it up and try to give it but if man if we if we did nothing but talk about all the celebrities who had died from week to week that's all we would do (laughs) maybe we it for our like end of year best of the best of 2016 we could do like a memoriam like a memoriam like they do on the oscars the oscars where we'll we'll just we'll just say names back and forth we'll have like sad (laughs) piano music playing (laughs) as i have a keyboardist playing in the background we can pick that up let's try it let's try it we're not gonna do that that sounds awful (laughs) we could do it but then we'll like speed it up like it'll be like so we'll sound like chipmunks sound like that's terrible. That's disrespectful. I don't want to okay, do that. We're not going to do that. All right. So we're coming up to a break here. When we come back, we're going to review our movie of the week for our Rebellion episode, Rogue One, a Star Wars story. In the break, you're going to hear the trailer. You're going to hear... Lots of uh, speeches. Yeah, speeches, talking. Epic music. Laser blasts. Um, And then at, at the very end, you hear Darth Vader. I don't know if you'll we'll get that far in the music. I usually don't play the whole trailer. Sorry, man. Man, prediction incorrect by me. But well, it's in there if you watch the trailer. It's in. Well, there. it's in some of the trailers, and if you watch some of the first trailers they released like a year ago, he he wasn't. And they were there. smart about it because at the very kind of at the point where you need people to start getting real motivated about it, they just threw that little one second clip in well, there. Well, I think, and after seeing the movie, that's pretty proportionate to his role in the film too. You don't yeah. want to oversell him. Which yeah. I don't think they did. So, no, not at all. It's just easy to get excited about Vader. It's easy to get excited about anything Star Wars. Yeah, period. For sure. So, when we come back, Rogue One movie review, movie of the week. This is a rebellion episode. We'll be right back. The world is coming undone. Imperial flags reign across the galaxy. Can you be trusted without your shackles? Let's just get this over with, shall we? We have a mission for you. A major weapons test is imminent. We need to know how to destroy it. If you're really doing this, I want to help. Good. Good. I've been recruiting for the Rebellion for a long time. We destroyed our home. I fight the Empire now. I fear nothing. All is as the Force wills it. The Captain says you are a friend. I will not kill you. Thanks. There isn't much time. Every day they grow stronger. There is a night 
Chance Welcome back into Weekend Nurse. I'm Nate. And I'm Ethan. And now it's time for the long-awaited Rogue One, a Star Wars story review. Uh-huh. Well, the movie's been long-awaited. Oh, yeah. To our several fans, the review of it, too, has been long-awaited. I hope so. Oh, yeah. So the plot is, former scientist Galen Erso lives on a farm with his wife and young daughter, is it now, is it Yin? Jin. Jin. Uh, his peaceful existence comes crashing down when the evil um, Orson Kenrick Krennic. takes him away from his beloved family. Many years later, Galen is now the Empire's lead engineer for the most powerful weapon in the galaxy, the Death Star. Knowing that her father holds the key to its destruction, a vengeful Jin joins forces with a spy and other resistance fighters to steal the space station's plans for the Rebel Alliance. The cast consists of Felicity Jones, Diego Luna, Alan Tudyk, Donnie Yen, Ben Mendelsoff, Bendelson, Bendelson, Forrest Whitaker, Rick Am, Riz, Riz Am Am Ahmed. He was in the the night of. Oh, really? Very good actor. Okay. Mad. Mads Mickelson. Mickelson. That's a confusion. I've just heard that those names so much that I know how to pronounce them. Yeah. Uh, the crew is. It was directed by Gareth Edwards, written by Chris Witz. Witz. Sounds right. Tony Garrow. Gilroy. Gilroy. John. Noel. Noel. And, wait, sorry, let's put Gary Willa? Willa? Gary Witta. Witta. Uh, Music by. Ooh, this one again. Michael Giacani. Giacano. Giacchino. Giacchino. And cinematography by Greg I will say, I don't think anybody actually knows how to pronounce his name. I've heard Giacchino, Giacchino, Giacchino. I don't freaking know. Well, the A could be, or the, sorry, the H could be silent, technically. Uh, Who knows, though? Uh, the filming locations. The film was done in many places all over the world. Lamu Talo in the... Maldives. We, we know how to say that. <laughs> we looked that one up. <laughs> <laughs> was used for some of the tropical locations... Waldi Rum in Jordan was used for several desert locations, and a few locations in London were used as well. Uh, this is only a few examples of the expan- expansive list of locations that were used. And it seemed like that. Oh, yeah. Because they kind of jump around a lot. Um, the notes for this massive Star Wars buff, this uh, buffs, I should say. Well, you're, you're actually like a legit buff. I'm kind of like a yeah, yeah. amateur level. Uh, this movie is a treasure chest of Easter eggs. It is um, advised to pay close attention for homages, homages <laughs> to Jesus past man. films. Uh, shows such as Star Wars Rebel, wait, Star Wars Rebels, and even references to the very old original artwork done before the original Star Wars films were even made. Uh, the director Gareth Edwards has reported that George Lucas saw the film and loved it. And in this stark contrast to his opinion of episode four, the four episode seven, The Force Awakens. Yeah, apparently so, Lucas hated that that movie. I think we've talked about that yeah, in the past, which is interesting. Um, but what did you think about Rogue One? Okay, well, I mean, I loved, I loved it. Uh, you know, and we I, we've talked, I don't know how many times, leading up to to our review here about the different trailers and some of the the, the stuff and the how much money it would make and blah, 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 and the reshoots and all this crap. And at the end of the day, I think any any um, any fear that these reshoots were an indication that the movie was of poor quality are 
in my opinion, sorely unfounded because I, I loved this movie. Um, I'll say right off the bat, I honestly don't know if I liked it more or less than The Force Awakens. I need this to marinate more because, uh, again, like you just said, I'm a, I am a massive Star Wars buff. I read the books, comic books I've seen. I watched all seven episodes in the last year since the last one came out. Probably 10 to 15 times a piece, not even exaggerating. I mean, wow. I love this stuff. Um, so I was super amped for this. Uh, and also before we go on, I guess I should say there that, yes, I in some ways I guess I am a fanboy. I love this stuff. Uh, a lot of the flaws that I do see in the movie are just things I don't really care about. And we can talk more about that. But as it stands, this movie blew me away. I wasn't expecting to like it as much. But uh, I, I was I was more than pleasantly surprised to see that this is right up there with all of the other movies, in my opinion, and uh, isn't just the sort of throwaway cash-in movie that it very easily could have been. And, yeah. and also uniquely, this movie, to me, unlike The Force Awakens, which could, could very well serve as an introduction to the Star Wars world, this one, to me, it's a much more challenging movie. It's much less accessible for people who aren't familiar with Star Wars. And at the end of the day, it's a much, I think, a ballsier, braver movie for some of the creative choices it makes. Yeah. Well, and for me, and this is going to sound really stupid, but like the the movie Lincoln, and this is a weird crossover. The Steven Spielberg movie? Yeah. It's kind of like a, a look into the past, right? Kind of a, a like close look at what it would be like to live back then. Mm-hmm. This is like a, histor- like a historical version of star wars in, to me a little bit because it's kind of like you can tell when you see it the technology is kind of old right the screens the tv screens are a little bit small like there's just so much detail in this that says this came before the movie you just saw if you saw episode seven it came way before that. but it's and yeah it's like a way like way before all this technology got developed but they took that concept so to the, like the 10th degree Mm-hmm. And it, that's what I loved about this film is it's so detailed. There's all these different references in there. Um, and I was blown away by it as well because I, I just thought it was so detailed. And all these little things, and they made you, for a Star Wars fan at least, feel like you were, had gone back in time mm-hmm. to this era. Right. And I think leading up to it, uh, one thing I was hoping that, you know, because I, I can quite honestly say that this feels like, the kind of movie when you see a trailer, at least for me, that I keep saying to myself, I want to see this, I want to see that, I want to see that. But you know damn well you're not going to see half that stuff. This is one of the first movies where I can say that I got everything I wanted to see and then some. Um, because, uh, you know, I agree. I, I think what I was hoping for was that instead of like The Force Awakens, which was very much taking the story that was established in the six original movies and you know, giving us another segment of what happens next. Since this movie takes place between episodes three and four, and it really is a very direct prequel to the original Star Wars movie, what it does so well is, is instead of moving the the plot forward or the the world forward and introducing crazy new things in that way, it's it's like taking a room, like say you walked into a, a metaf- metaphorical room and this room is Star Wars. This movie is like, putting all the wallpaper on the walls, all f- putting the lights on and the carpet and filling in all the details so you're, you're looking at a fully furnished room instead of just a room. This is, to me, this is ex- moving the world of Star Wars outwards instead of just forward. And, and, I, and I was expecting that to happen, but I didn't realize it would be done so well because, uh, like you said, this is, we're seeing a very familiar 
time in Star Wars history, going back to the original Star Wars movie, which to I think a lot of people is a very familiar movie um, that gives them a very familiar feeling. And this movie instantly feels like you're back in that time, but just in a different place. And we're seeing a lot of the, the gaps sort of get filled in leading up to that. So in terms of story, to me, this movie sort of, it just fills in a lot of blanks we had that, did they have to be filled in? Eh, maybe not, but I think the world is way, the world of Star Wars is way richer for getting this story. But also at the same time, this group of new characters we get, I don't think these are throwaway characters. I think these are great characters. They're focused on way differently than other Star Wars movies. There's no mystery to them necessarily. We're not left with many questions. There's a beginning and a middle and an end for these characters in this movie. And uh, that's a, that's a first for Star Wars, I think. And instead of focusing all the time on one or two characters and giving them this rich backstory and all these questions about their influences and this or that, we see the cause they're fighting for and the fact that they're all giving themselves to that cause is what's important in the movie. So that was just one of the things that this movie did that I was not expecting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just totally on board. Well, I think I was kind of surprised by, because I mean, the storyline, I guess you could say it's complex, but in reality, the story is so simple. You know, it's about, you know, X, Y, and Z. We won't give anything away. But at the end of the day, it's they make it so beautiful that it is complex. Mm -hmm. And just the writing and the way they they stylized it and the emotions that you go through and just everything. It's just, it's great. I I had goosebumps in the theater watching this film, which I don't get that often. Well, and yeah, and and I got to say straight up, yeah, we're not going to spoil this movie. The deep spoilers of it. But if you know anything about this... You've seen the original Star Wars. You know the Rebels get the Death Star plans. This movie is about how they get them. And, and that was, I think, the highest compliment you can say to this movie is it was a movie that I knew how it was going to end, but I was still riveted. Yeah. I was still on the edge of my seat. There, Even though I knew what was going to happen, that it, that they would get the plans, I was still going like, oh, you have to do this. Oh, that was a close one. You know, those kind of reactions throughout the whole movie, especially the last act of this movie, which is just a a breakneck of action and special effects. That's absolutely phenomenal. But uh, yeah, I think um, it's interesting because the first 20 or 30 minutes of this movie are sort of jarring because you're jumping around to a lot of places. This is the first Star Wars movie where we have uh, title cards basically showing up for each planet. And at first that kind of threw me off because I'm thinking, well, well, that's not, you know, that's not Star Wars, but it's like, well, this is a different type of movie. We're not following the episodes anymore. This is its own story that directly relates to it. Um, so yeah, I think the first 20 or so minutes of the movie, we're jumping around getting introduced to a bunch of these characters and it's jarring at first. And like you said, it seems more complex than it really ends up being because ultimately this is a story of rebels who I would say the first act of this movie is about them looking for a reason to fight for the rebellion and the second half is them fighting and you know going after the plans and in that way to me i was super impressed with the story arcs for these characters and i quite honestly found this movie to be more emotional than any of the other star wars oh movies. yeah yeah i mean there there were at least two maybe three if you're real emotional like tear up type moments oh god yeah. which is a, a pretty a pretty new concept yeah for, for star wars but they did again they did it well like they're movies that do good solid tear up moments and there's ones that it's like okay come on right you know and this was like a they had just so much there's a lot of emotion and that's what i wasn't expecting you know because this director gareth edwards his last movie was godzilla and the only other movie he made before that that i'm aware of is a movie called monster and 
one thing he we knew he was good at was like scale and things being huge and epic. And this movie certainly has some like overwhelmingly epic things happen in it, but never one, especially in Godzilla. I mean, the characters are so flat in that movie as, as much as I enjoyed it. I mean, there's really nothing. And that's, that wasn't the point of Godzilla. But so I think the fact that this movie made me feel so emotional was like stunning to me. Cause I'm, th- I, that's, it goes back to my thinking about this movie that Gareth Edwards, he's great for action and epic adventure, but it's just going to sort of be this whatever side story. But at the end of the day, I was more attached to any of these characters than I think I've ever been in during the period of one movie, at least for any of the characters in Star Wars. And to me, that's a tall order to fill out. And I was, I was floored by it because I was absolutely in love with these characters, even though we get very little detail about them. Again, I think it goes back to it wasn't necessarily who these people were before they got here. The point is, this is who they are now, and they have a reason to fight, and I totally bought it. And I think a lot of that is due to the amazing acting in this movie. Fantastic performances, especially uh, from Felicity Jones, who plays Jin Erso, yeah. and Cassian Andor. No, Diego Luna, who plays Cassian Andor. They were amazing in their roles. Uh, everybody else as well. But uh, you could really dig into these characters quite a bit. Uh, and I, I guess I just wasn't expecting that. Yeah. And I, for me, yeah, the acting was amazing. But I think when, when what kind of amazes me is previous to this, I think each Star Wars movie was like a book. And correct me if I'm wrong, but it seemed it was like, you know, an episode. So it was like one book and well, then you is, buy another literally. book and then you buy another book. This seemed like maybe like two or three chapters, mm-hmm. right, in terms of like a storyline. But it, it was so, so deep. But... Just to talk, again, on the acting, I mean, I think top to bottom, I don't think there's any acting you could necessarily pick out as like, well, this was flat or bad or yeah, or anything like that because everyone was good. And without spoiling anything, I will say that certain characters from the original Star Wars that Star Wars buffs know and love show up in this movie in some of the most impossible ways I, I ever, I couldn't have even imagined before I seen the movie. There's some special effects that are done in this movie that are unbelievable like the the most incredible there's some revolutionary things with special effects going on in this movie um that's certainly not flawless but i'm not going to complain um because uh without spoiling it if you want to bring some of these characters back you have to make sacrifices in in some way shape or form but uh yeah the performances were across the board great i loved ben mendelsohn as krennic the uh pretty much the central villain in this movie Mm -hmm. He was conniving. He was power hungry. He was, you know, he didn't care about he's anybody. Like, he's like designed for this this type of role. Like oh, yeah. just like his facial features yeah, and the way he talks. And you just want to punch him right yeah. in the face. <laughs> and he's kind of got like a brat type mentality. And yeah, just, was, and I, I don't know anything about the guy. He could be the nicest guy on the face of the earth. He probably is. Yeah, yeah. He was awesome casting. in the show. In the show Bloodline, he was really great in yeah. that as well. But um, you know, but ironically speaking, I, I this movie t- for me. I have to take a step back and kind of look at it because for me, I was stunned with how well it worked on its own as the, really the first Star Wars movie that completely works as a standalone movie. But at the same time, I quite honestly, I think the biggest problem with this movie, and for me, I, this isn't really a problem. I just am looking at how other people would see this, was I feel like a lot of the 
mythology, a lot of the psychological motivations for good guys and bad guys in this, a lot of the ins and outs of the rebellion and the empire, a lot of this stuff is sort of going to be lost on people who aren't pretty familiar with Star Wars. So on one hand, to me, this is the most compact of all the Star Wars movie. But on the other hand, this is sort of the most referential. This is almost a movie that feels like it was made for fans of Star Wars. Yeah. Um, so... It, it, you know, while, while The Force Awakens, and I don't want to compare the two too much because they're totally different movies. The Force Awakens sort of seems like the perfect introduction to Star Wars. This is not the movie to introduce people to Star Wars with, I don't think. Yeah, because this is like midstream in oh, terms yeah. of the flow of, of the this story. And yeah, I agree. I, but, I, you know, it, you're kind of, this is, this is kind of the midway between episodes seven and eight. This is kind of a midpoint, I think. And they kind of wanted to, I think they really wanted to keep the fans happy. Well, right. With this type of film. But they had still to do good, and I think they did. I think it's cool that, you know, instead of doing, it, it, you know, you could say, well, we don't need to know the story. But to me, you know, you're going back to the, right before the original Star Wars, and you're giving us an amazing story with these great characters in this emotional package. And you, again, it goes back to the whole concept of filling the room out, expanding outwards instead of just stretching it forward or backwards. And to me, everything, all the choices they make in order to add gray area to the rebellion in a franchise that before this movie to me was very black and white, good versus evil, whatever, whatever. This movie just adds so much to that, that this movie has forever altered how I'll watch that original Star Wars movie. It just adds so much and it fits so snugly into it. That uh, I, I was really I was really floored by it, yeah. but I think people who know more about if you've read comics and books, if you watch Star Wars Rebels, the animated show that's on right now, there's just so much crap splattered through this movie that is either very subtle and in the background, and it sort of makes you go, "Oh, cool, look at that," or it's sort of name dropping certain characters and this or that. But some references I feel would be lost on people, which is why. I, I while, while I think I will never be able to watch A New Hope without first watching this ever again, if I sit down with somebody who's never seen Star Wars, they're going to see that movie before this one. Mm-hmm. I just feel like it works that way better. Um, again, that's not a complaint. I just think that, uh, and in fact, that's a compliment because I can't believe Disney made a movie this way. I can't believe they made a movie this ballsy. They made a movie that... It, that that it's it's so steeped in the mythology of Star Wars that it takes a little bit of extra knowledge to really appreciate some of the stuff they do in this. Right. And I think this this movie was really, and it's kind of interesting that it comes out at the end of 2016, and we can maybe dive into this after ratings, but like, I just feel like this film had what all these other like huge blockbuster films that flopped earlier in the year were lacking. Yeah. You know, it's a big studio that's producing, and it's a big budget, but they still made like borderline art with this film mm-hmm. and it, they just cuz they just did it so well. They stuck to their roots. They did the like little minute little things that you need to make a film great. Right. And you know, I've liked quite a few of the block like we both we both liked Civil War quite a bit. We both liked Star Wars or Star Trek Beyond rather. But absolutely, this movie to me is on a different level. It's not yeah. just entertaining and and cool and awesome characters. It like legitimately feels like you're tapping in to, to something greater. And uh, maybe that's just the Star Wars nerd in me talking, but uh, it just feels so much more substantial. It just feels like so much more thought and time went into plotting this story out. So not only is it entertaining and familiar as a Star Wars movie, but we're getting new characters that at least I was shockingly attached to throughout this thing. Uh, 
Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I think of all the blockbusters that have come out this year, this one is the first one that seems substantial to me. Yeah. But uh, do you have and any, like, real negatives to talk just, about? I mean, and it's kind of a nitpick. I felt in the beginning, like, they just, and again, going on the the kind of concept of, like, people that are watching this as their first Star Wars movie, mm-hmm. they jump around so much. Yeah. That it almost it wasn't a total negative for me, but it was like maybe kind of that half half rank, right? Where I was just even I was like, holy Christ, they're moving really fast! <laughs> like they're just like boom, 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 boom. We're here, we're here, we're here, we're here, and boom, yeah. boom, 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 boom. And I, I kind of liked the um, what are those called? Were the names like pop the title up? cards of the yeah, planets. title cards? I don't mind that. Oh, I thought it was so great. I, yeah, you know, I, I I alluded to it when we first started talking here. I have flaws with this movie. Okay, sure. I, I'm with you. I think the first act is maybe a little bit all over the place. But I saw this movie twice. I just actually saw it again last night for the second time. And uh, this is just one of those movies where I think maybe they could have hand, they could have been a little bit more graceful with the first act. Yeah, you, you can always question the special effects in movies like this. Because at the end of the day, we're watching some insane shit happen. That is, it can only be achieved through incredible special effects, especially with some of the uh, characters from the original uh, trilogy they bring back here. Uh, and you, I could nitpick those things, but at the end of the day, I just do not care. The only real complaint I think I have, it's the exact same thing I said about The Force Awakens last year, is that it just, at this moment in time for me, I just feel like it just felt a little, like, it just felt a little chunky at first you know what i mean but on my second viewing even last night it already felt now that i knew how it played out i knew what to pay attention to i knew it was where it was going and it felt more more cohesive to me so and you know any i I could list some specific very nerdy star wars nitpicks but i'm not going to bore anybody buddy with that because at the end of the day it doesn't matter i really i was not expecting to like this as much as i did i just thought it was going to be this neat thing i thought it would sort of be the red flag that comes up in the star wars universe and i never said this before because i was just trying to be blindly ambitious about it but uh i always had this fear that this would sort of be disney saying well we can you know we can shuffle out these half-assed little star wars movies every other year and make some money but uh no they i mean they really let the 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 filmmakers go the distance with this and i'm stunned i'm stunned yeah, and I kind of felt like it would be it would be like another like feature film, but I, yeah, this is a different level, different level from what I expected. So, what would you rate this one to ten? I I I said I can't at this moment in time say that I like it better or worse than The Force Awakens, so I'm sort of resigned to giving it the same bullshit score I gave The Force Awakens, which is a nine point five out of ten, just because there was that part of me that said I can't for sure say that this is one of my favorite movies ever after just a week, not even a week having seen it. And, you know, a year later after The Force Awakens, I can say that's a 10 out of 10 for me. But this one, I'm going to be cautious. I'm going to give it a 9.5 out of 10, but I can absolutely say with certainty, eh, it's probably a 10. Yeah. <laughs> but I'll put it on, I'll put it on <laughs> and I'll write it on pencil, pencil right now at 9.5 out of 10. It is painful somewhat to give a film a 10. Uh, I've only, I've only given tough. like three or four other movies, and this one to me, it's the of all the other movies I've given a ten. Those are much more specifically sort of aimed movies. This movie is so huge that it's so easier to see some of the flaws in it. So, yeah. what would you, what would you give it? I'm curious. Nine point two. 
All right. That's so, awesome. Yep. I right same with you. Not quite the ten to me, but I, and if I watch this again, which I think I will, I'll probably watch it over the my my five day Christmas break, whatever oh, it is. Nice. But I'm, I plan on seeing it at least yeah. two more times. So <laughs> I want to see it at least once again, and maybe another time, and I'll probably end up buying this movie. Yeah. I liked it. It's a, it's a, it is truly it's something I uh, in my lifetime, and again, I'm a fairly like amateur Star Wars fan. I just never thought they'd take Star Wars here. Oh, I know. Because I thought it would just be this you know episode thing until the yeah. end of time and they offshoot it to the story and i was with you i thought it was like oh they're trying to like pawn this out for money but it just it didn't yeah. it, it was it's a lot more than that it ties in and like you said too it fits so snugly yeah. into a new hope and oh just, man you will anybody who sees this fuck. the second you get home you will want to pop in the original star wars i mean the second i got home i watched a new hope again because i was like are you joking me i, I was just blown away but no, just just totally. It just feels like it just it just feels like there's something really substantial going going on with, with this with this franchise. It's not you know as much as I like the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I, I have a hard time putting any of those movies even close to this level because to me it just shows. And if anything, we should give credit to George Lucas, who's very easy to sort of slight and make fun of because of the prequel films and whether you liked or disliked them. Um, the fact that he created this world that was big and open enough that this sort of story can fit inside of it, to me, says a lot about a creative mind. So, you know, I, th- I think we shouldn't forget to thank George Lucas for, for introducing this whole concept to everybody. Man, he's a different level kind of guy. For sure. So on to our high priority news items. Um, the Golden Globe nominations were announced not a well. It's, doesn't it go that usually the person that wins the Golden Globes or the movie that wins it has a better chance? Yeah, I would say it's like a seventy percent. Give it a seventy percent up and up up it. I would say the the movies that win Best Picture in, in, at the Golden Globes coincide. Let's say sixty five percent of the time. Okay. It used to be a lot more, but it's really changed in, just in the last decade. But yeah, next thing you know, they're gonna like have the Oscars decided by like hashtags. It's gonna be like a public vote. Oh my god! Every year, it would the ju- public gets one vote. These Whatever movie makes the most money would be the one. What would it be? Civil War would win Best would Picture. Win. Yeah. Although I think Rogue One will make more money than Star Wars. That was a good moment. Again, there's a, a few films that are shaping up to go on to that Oscar domination. Uh, Moonlight, Manchester by the Sea, which I need. I want to see that. La La Land. Um, which I will see. Uh, f- Fences. Fences and Hacksaw Ridge are among... Fen- what, what's that? Fences. It's directed by Denzel Washington, starring Denzel Washington and Viola Davis. It looks about... It's like a family drama set in, I think, some city. It looks awesome, but it's hmm. gotten a ton of nominations. Yeah. This is the first time hearing of this. Look the trailer up. It's pretty sweet. I it. saw the trailer when I saw Moonlight, which is sort of... When I saw Moonlight, it was like all these movies that are getting nominated were the trailers I saw because the people who put the movie out clearly yeah. know what audience is at this movie. I, I thought it was very, very funny. Anyways, sorry, continue. No, all good. Um, and Hacksaw Ridge, they're among the top uh, nomination films for the Golden Globes. Um, Tom Hanks, uh, he was snubbed for Best Actor for Sully. I, I think this is going to be a film that gets ignored. I think so. I, it's starting to look that way. I think it's, it just has that makeup. 
Because I'm an expert now. Because it's like my second Oscar. <laughs> Jeez, here no, you I'm go. Kidding. Your nose is up in uh, the air. <laughs> <laughs> so for best picture for drama, there's Hell or High Water, Lion, uh, Manchester by the Sea, Moonlight, and Hacksaw Ridge. Uh, best picture, musical or comedy, 20th Century Women, Deadpool, Florin, Florence Foster, Foster Jenkins, J- Jenkins mm-hmm. La La Land, and uh, Sing Street. Uh, and best director is Damien Ch- Ch- I think it's it? Chazelle. Chazelle. Chazelle for La La Land, Tom Ford for Octurnal Animals, Mel Gibson, Hacksaw Ridge, and Barry Jenkins from Moonlight. Oh, it got oh. cut off. And, and Kenneth Tuck- Lonergan for Manchester by the Sea. Sneaky, sneaky. Damn page breaks. So, you know, I think we should say if, if anybody listening is interested in the whole list, because there's way more categories than these these four, definitely look it up. It's a pretty exciting race uh, with the uh, the acting nominations and the actress nominations and leading and supporting roles and, and their screenplay. And then, of course, the Golden Globes have all the television awards as well. Yep. But uh, I think it's sort of interesting that at this point, I feel absolutely safe in saying that either Moonlight, Manchester by the Sea, or La La Land will win Best Picture. Mm -hmm. The more I'm looking at it, the more I think Moonlight will be the winner. But uh, one movie that I'm actually going to watch this week and that you listed for Best Motion Picture Drama was Hell or High Water with Jeff Bridges and Ben Foster, I think, is in that. My, I have a, a good friend, Alex, who periodically he'll text me to like see movies. And he, he this is when he told me, he was like, we need to go see Hell or High Water. Can, do you know where you can find it? And the closest place I could find was Madison at the time. It was like brand new they, It was playing here in Appleton. For a little bit. I almost went because this was like three or four months ago. I remember there was buzz about this movie. I really wanted to see it. I just couldn't make it happen. And now I'm sort of kicking myself for not going. Having said that, this is available on Blu-ray now. Yeah, you can go watch this anytime. And also, um, Sing Street, which is in for best motion picture, musical, or comedy, is available to stream on instant Netflix right now. Really? Yeah, your wife actually recommended it to me because she had watched it. Did she? Oh, she watched it at her Thanksgiving. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I, I, you know, that movie is it's out there. And actually, last week we were supposed to see Nocturnal Animals, but we didn't. The episode didn't happen, but that's getting a lot of love as well. Yeah. So, uh, the, I, you know, and, uh, you know, we both reviewed Hacksaw Ridge. To me, it's surprising that Hacksaw Ridge is getting as much love as it is just because of the, you know, move, the quality of the film aside, uh, which I, I loved. I, I liked it a little bit more than you. But uh, Mel Gibson, who has sort of been ostracized from Hollywood, is, I mean, he's in for best director here. He'll be at the awards. Oh, he's been at right? the Golden Globes and, yeah, before. Yeah, but as a, like a, a nominee, which is a big step for him. I still just don't see it happening for the Oscars, though. Yeah. I don't know. I like the movie enough where I'd be happy with it, but uh, I just don't see it happening. Yeah. But I, a lot of these movies I got to see. I also think it's kind of fun to see Deadpool in for best comedy. That's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> I, and that's a, I mean, that's a film you have to kind of take like seriously because it did so well, and I thought it was pretty well made. All things considered. Oh yeah, I, we we both were, I mean that was an we did that episode almost a year ago. I think we both gave it in the eights. Yeah, it's not one of my top ten movies of the year, but I, I liked it. I thought it was great. Yeah, but um, yeah, Hell or High Water is one that's been interested and I've been interested by for a long time. That would even be one if we have a a tight week here where we're not able to make it to the theater. We could easily rent and watch it home. Yeah. Oh yeah. Instead, you know, cuz I'm dying to see it. I'm dying to see it now that it's got all this Oscar buzz. Yeah. So So that and is And Manchester by the Sea, I didn't run this by you. I'm thinking maybe next week we do. Yeah. It. Cuz oh, it's totally. playing in theaters, so maybe next week we might do that on the podcast. Yeah. 
get a peep in there. For sure. For sure. So on to our uh, weekly segment by the numbers. Oh, come on. Oh, there's, you missed that it. is, okay, so this is like snuck This is like a there. preamble. I it's thought this is. preamble. <laughs> so Disney, be, Disney becomes the first studio to cross the $7 billion gross mark at the box office in a single year, which insane. is insane. Yeah. That's a lot of money. And Rogue One is the movie that propelled them there, but they did. Star more. Wars. Star Wars, absolutely. But also Civil War, which is the number one movie of the year box office-wise and probably will remain the number one movie box office-wise, um, at least for the year because Rogue One will bleed into next year. But they also did Doctor Strange and all of a bunch of animate. I mean, they did Moana and Zootopia, $7 billion. But Jungle I will Book, s- wasn't that Disney? Jungle Book, that's right. They also did Pete's Dragon, which wasn't as successful, but it still made a ton of money. And then they own the Harry Potter too, don't they? Books and the rights That's, to. It? I don't, what was Fantastic Beasts and where to find them? Is that Dis? Well, what does it say? Uh, Warner. That's Warner Brothers. Oh, okay. But uh, oh yeah, because they have like the logo thing, right? Like, kind of the smoke. But uh, yeah, so Disney killing it. They beat out last year. I think it was Universal who. There was like a six point nine four billion, so they just narrowly beat it. But, you know, 7 is a more impressive landmark than 6.94. Yeah. So, I mean, Disney. We don't need our theme parks no more. We got these here films. I mean, that's just the movies too, man. Yeah. That's just insanity. That's just like production that they can just put across the, the world and have people take it in. People love it, man. Yeah, crazy. $7 billion. Wow. So on to a very related concept, or by the, by the numbers, where we rate the top five grossing films in the United States, Gage Lobs, Decoumont, Cinema. This property we can roast, any violations or not. Wow. Uh, so anyways, top five films. Why don't you start it off this week? Okay. So number five this week was the movie we reviewed on our last episode, which was Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, which made $5 million on its fifth week in the box office. So a domestic total of $207 million. On a $180 million budget, it's done extraordinary money in Europe as well. Doing so, good. Awesome. Holding strong. Um, number four is Collateral Beauty. This movie Ooh. looked like complete and utter Crap. garbage. Yeah. Anyways. From Warner Brothers, it grossed $7.1 million in its first week. That is its total gross, and the problem is... $36 million budget. This movie looked so bad. This movie to me looked horrible. It looked so like manipulative and sentimental. And uh, I actually read full spoilers for this. When I saw this trailer, I because the plot of this movie, at least based on the trailers, is that this guy went through a personal tragedy where his like wife or daughter or somebody dies. Very sad. And he writes these letters to time and death and love. And then they magically show up in his real life and talk to him and talk him through the situation. When I saw the trailer, I thought to myself, I bet you there's a twist in this movie and I bet you it's this. And the second this movie came out, I instantly went and looked up the synopsis because there's no way I'm going to sit through this piece of crap, which apparently is awful. It's gotten terrible reviews. I called the freaking twist and I listened to some reviews where people were stunned at the twist because not because they were so surprised and it was so shocking, but it was just so bad that they were baffled by it. I called this movie, this bullshit twist at the end of it, shame on you, Will Smith. 
Shame on you, Will Smith. Stop making this crap. He's such a good actor, and he has not made a good movie, and I don't mm-hmm. even know how long it is. I mean, I enjoyed Suicide Squad, but I'd be hard-pressed to call it a good movie. Yeah. Oh, it's just bad. He hasn't had, like, a really, like, rock-solid film in a while. It's a bummer. And, and this movie just looked, it just looked to me like just the most baseline, sentimental, philosophical hogwash for people who never give a real moment's thought to like their lives and life and death. And it just looked insulting. Like I don't need to, uh, I'm venting. I'm sorry. No, it's fine. This movie looked awful. And I'm let it out, of, Ethan. Let I'm, it I'm out. I'm just kind of glad it bombed because it just looked terrible. And the fact that they brought it out the same weekend as Star Wars kind of tells me that the studio saw this movie and they said, this is a piece of crap. What can we hide it under? So you put it out the same week as Star Wars. Yeah, so nobody goes to see it. Forget about it. And yeah. Oh, man. Collateral Beauty. Ugh. Ugh. It'll be Jeez. ready. It'll be available for 99 cents at no time. Just don't watch it. Just go to the mirror and hit yourself in the face with a brick and close your eyes and watch the stars. That'll be much more entertaining, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, man. I need a, I'm going to have another beer. That's fine. It's your turn. <laughs> Wait. No, it's my turn. <laughs> Shit. Okay. So number three, it was the uh, uh, a movie that came out last week. Was Office Christmas Party that made eight point five million, uh, so a domestic total of thirty one point six million on a forty five million dollar budget. Excuse me, so not doing super well, but um, you know, seems sort of like the alternative, kind of like what was the comedy movie that came out last year? The R rated one wasn't there? Just this big R rated comedy that came out around Christmas during time? the Force Awakens. That oh, what the hell was it? It was some R-rated comedy that, and it did really well, sort of like how this one's doing. Yeah. And it stuck around because not everybody's a big old nerd and wants to go see Star Wars 16 times, so they go see, you know, this. And I want to see Office Christmas Party. T.J. Miller's in it. Yeah. It's kind of like, from what I understand, it's kind of like the comedy if you work in an office. Well, kind of. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Relate to it. Sure. Or whatever. <laughs> I don't know. But uh, number two this week was Moana, last week's number one. Uh, gross total of $12.7 million, and its fourth week bringing its total gross to $162 million. Boom. Boom. Making money. So then the number one movie of the year um, on its opening weekend is Rogue One, A Star Wars Story, which made, I believe, the year year's, the year's biggest weekend opening. I might be wrong, but I believe it's the year's biggest opening. Uh, $155 million on its opening weekend with the 200 Million dollar budget. This was as of Sunday night. I already looked today. Worldwide, it's almost made four hundred million already, and it's already passed two hundred in the United States. So it's certainly not doing the Force Awakens money, but I don't think anybody expected it to. Yeah, uh, it's still by all means a huge hit. I won't be surprised if it surpasses Civil War at the end of its run. I feel like this is a movie that could stick around longer. Assuming people like it, I know people really love The Force Awakens, and again, we both sort of thought that this movie was uh, not as accessible as The Force Awakens, so that might hurt it a little bit. But uh, still, $155 million opening weekend, that's ridiculous. That's amazing. Yeah. Boom. Big money. Mm-hmm. And now on to our other weekly segment, there can only... Wait a second. <laughs> there can be only one. <laughs> that was totally intentional. All right, there can be only one. There can be only one. Here we are, born to be king. We're the 
All right. This is where we guess uh, the numbers. That sounded like you I want me to like do this? Foreign. I can like, do. I can. <laughs> this is where we guess the numbers. Okay, no, so this is where we guess the top grossing film. Right, right, right. So every week, we, me and Nate, guess what the upcoming weekend's uh, box office champ will be. And just keep in mind that since we didn't do an episode last week, apologies. Um, these are the, we guessed the weekend before, so this isn't, uh, based on, we, neither of us got to guess for Rogue One's opening weekend, but that's okay. Um, so I had guessed that Office Christmas Party would debut to 20 million and would be number one. And Nate guessed that Office Christmas Party would be number one at 19.5 million. And unfortunately we have no winners. So, because Moana won with 18.5 million, it three-peated as they say. Um, so we remain tied or not tied, but our scores are unchanged. I have five, you have three. And so that means this week you get to pick first as to what the movie. Second week. So what movie you think will be number one this upcoming weekend. So next week when we record our episode, what do you think will be the number one movie? I'm going to say Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Rogue One. Okay. At one hundred point one million dollars. Whoa! All right. Well, I'm gonna also say Rogue One, and I'm gonna say seventy-five million. Okay. I I think uh, what I think I would have gone higher, but you went I think pretty way too pretty high. high. Yeah. But uh, but uh, you know whatever. Uh, the the thing is. What I like to do with a movie that makes this much is sort of take what it made and divide it in half, and you get to about seventy-five million. Um, with Star Wars, we might see it do better in its second week. I think the movie's been well received. I just I'm not sure if people are going to rush out to see it more than once. I know I am, but I'm only one dude, so I, I you know I, I and you're going to buy twenty-five million dollars worth of tickets. Ridiculous, causing me to win. <laughs> I cannot do that. I, I wouldn't if I could, because that would be stupid. And there's really nothing coming out this weekend that poses a huge threat. There's a, and which is weird, you know. Thinking about it, usually, like last year, we had the Hateful Eight opening. Yeah, we had some big movies, and we, the only big movie coming out this weekend is Passengers, I think. Yeah, and, and Assassin's Creed, but the, I mean, neither of those are going to do that well. I don't think. No, not. I mean, they're not going to do the kind of money that Star Wars is going to do, or. Any other, but... Right. I think we're both safe saying Rogue One, but uh, I would be shocked if it made more than $100 million in the second weekend. Miracles How much do you think before. it'll make domestically at the end of its run? Because here, the for- let's look up The Force. Damn you, Apple. The Force Awakens box office. Domestically, let's see. The Force Awakens made in the United States of these blessed countries. It made 936 million dollars so it's less than a million or not less than a billion what do you think rogue one's gonna do based on the fact that the opening weekend let's see the opening weekend for force awakens was 248 million the opening weekend for rogue one was 155 million so uh, um, uh, you know almost a hundred million less if you followed kind of a trend line i'd say somewhere between like six and seven hundred million kind of what i was thinking too i was thinking optimistically around besides seven and eight hundred but yeah. i'm thinking between six and seven hundred is where it's going to end up i don't think that a lot of people truly um understand what it is 
Oh, yeah. Which is tough to get people into the theater then because they they don't know. They, it's like, and I'm glad they put a Star Wars story into the title. I still think that, there's people who think it's the, who are going to be confused as to why Ray and Finn aren't hanging out. Yeah. Um, they just have them in a cutoff scene. That would be ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, that's <laughs> way later <laughs> than any of this. But uh, yeah, I, I just, I guess, I think we had both sort of guessed that we thought Disney would push the fact that it takes place before the original trilogy more than they ended up doing. Because I think at the end of the day, there's no real convincing way to do that. And I think maybe it was because they were confident enough that the movie was good enough that while straight up Kathleen Kennedy and friends at Disney said, this is not going to make as much as The Force Awakens. There simply hasn't been a 10-year Star Wars-less drought. That's one of the reasons that movie made so much. They're like, this will be a hit, but not that big of a hit. Um, I think maybe they just knew that the movie was good and they knew that word of mouth uh, alone would sort of propel it to be a success. Certainly not Force Awakens. I don't think it's going to break two billion worldwide. That's ridiculous. Yeah, I think it will break one billion though worldwide. Yeah, well, the totally like unique concept. Essentially, it's like not. It's not like a total new film series, but it's kind of. I mean, it's different. It's especially different in this franchise. Um, so, yeah. and it, it's so funny that uh, one of the biggest <laughs> criticisms of the Force Awakens was that it was too much like the other movies. And this one is so different, I almost feel like that could be a criticism. When are they doing anything else like this? Oh, yeah. They're doing the Han Solo movie. Yeah. Which will take place in a pretty similar time frame, I would imagine. Maybe, probably like 10, 15 years before this. But then they're doing... I think those are the only two confirmed spinoff movies, but there's rumblings of an Obi-Wan Kenobi solo movie. Perhaps a, 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 a Boba Fett movie. Who knows? And, you know, in this in this universe, who knows if Disney... What, who knows what Disney's game plan, maybe in 20 or 30 years after they're done with this new trilogy. A Jar Jar Binks spinoff. <laughs> okay, no. I was going to say maybe we, we learn more about some of the characters who were introduced in Rogue One. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised to see some novels or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know there was already one prequel novel to Rogue One that's out there. I haven't read it yet. But um, I, I just think there's enough going on in the story that's separate from... The, the, you know, the story we knew prior that they could do a shitload of stuff with it. And that's sort of the beauty of it. Yeah. It's just, an, it's, there's, there's endless possibilities. And now that we know it's going to work, that they actually care about these movies, they're not just going to shoo them out and sort of flip them out there for people to munch popcorn on and forget about. <laughs> it's I'm ugh, amazing. Yeah. So that is our movie of the week segment. I hope you enjoyed it for the Rebellion Episode, when we come back, we're going to do our album of the week, the Foo Fighters 1999 album, There's Nothing Left to Lose. We, and you'll hear music from that album in the break. So Weekly Nurse, we'll be right back.
back into weekly weekly. No, keep it going. Weekly neurosis. I'm Nate. I'm Ethan. All right. Time for album of the week. Ethan, take it away. Boom. So this week, during our Rebellion episode, we discussed the Foo Fighters record, There Is Nothing Left to Lose, which I think, by name at least, uh, fits in with our theme. Don't need to explain it. I just think it does. Okay. So the background on the Foo Fighters is the Foo Fighters are an American rock band that was originally started in 1994 by Dave Grohl following the death of Nirvana frontman Kurt Cobain, which, of course, Dave Grohl was the drummer in Nirvana. Uh, Foo Fighters were, strangely enough, considered a one-man act for Dave Grohl at first. In 1995, 1997, and 1999, the band released some very wildly successful and well-received rock records. Uh, The group has remained active all the way up to 2005, where it was announced they would be taking a short break, and they are set to start touring again in 2017. And also, on a fun side note, the name Foo Fighters is based on UFO sightings that were reported during World War II. Pretty fascinating stuff. Look that up. So this particular album, uh, some background on There Is Nothing Left to Lose. Uh, It is the third album from the Foo Fighters. At the time of its release, it was seen as a sort of departure for the group and features more ballads and a generally softer production and sound. Melodies and more complex songs are explored throughout the album instead of more straightforward rock and roll jams. And released in 1999, it was a popular record and would ultimately win the band a Grammy for Best Rock Album of the Year. Wow. So, So, Nate, what did you think about There's Nothing Left to Lose? Do you have any... Also, do you have any like what's your deal like what's your relationship like with the Foo Fighter? It's pretty it's pretty minimal. I, I mean I, I don't it's not like I dislike them. I just I'm not I've not listened to a lot of their music, to be yeah. honest. Okay. Um but I, I think listening to this album, they, they had something going here. I did listen to their first album in nineteen ninety four and listening to this now, um I, I think this is kinda of, you can tell this is them at kind of a, a point where they were ready to kind of break out. Uh, but I, I mean, overall, I like this album. There's a lot of stuff that if you just listen, if you'd never listened to anything of theirs or really had any listened to any previous music, there's a lot of stuff that might technically be like in and out of your ear, but it really isn't because it's it's them kind of diverging into a new kind of era of of who they were as artists, which they're now like massive, massive, massive rock stars. So, right. Well, what do you think of this? Um, you know, I kind of have a kind of, like you, I kind of have a passive thing for the Foo Fighters. I when the album One by One came out in 2002, that was really when I first started getting into rock music, so I liked that album a lot. But um, you know, I when with this album, you can definitely kind of tell they were coming more into their own, although I think the album they released before this, The Color and the Shape is a is a much better album than this. Uh I do I do enjoy this, but uh, you know, to sort of get my negatives just on the plate right away. The issue I have with Foo Fighters, it pertains exactly to this album. The, the issue I have, and you sort of alluded to it, is that a lot of their music, for me at least, is just sort of there. It's just sort of in one ear and out the other. And I think, for me, I can pin it down to the fact that there just isn't a lot of energy on some of it. A lot of it is it's very bland. But having said that, with this album... Coming out in 1999, it still feels like a very modern record. It still feels yeah. like a like a sound that tons of bands are doing. So in a lot of ways, it's hard to deny that the Foo Fighters were and remain an, an influential act. And I think Dave Grohl sort of rising out of the ashes of Nirvana 
has a, has a lot to do with that. But I think this is a solid album. I don't think it's their best album. It's got a couple of, I mean, cl- straight up classic songs on it. Oh, yeah. And songs that I think most people have heard, like Learn to Fly, <sighs> which is maybe, arguably their most popular song. Everybody's heard that song. I like uh, the song Breakout quite a bit as well. But uh, yeah, I, I think it's... Uh, you know, following their first two albums, which are much louder, more immediate rock albums, the fact that they dial it down on this is a blessing and a curse because on one hand it diversifies them, but on the other hand, I think some of their slower songs are just boring. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, there are quite a few songs to me that if you're critiquing this as like a current album, it does feel really kind of dull and boring. But Learn to Fly is, it, it's very, it was very strange for me to listen to because it's such a familiar song. Like I've heard it so many times that I I was just it was like oh my god this song again like I had that reaction. It's hard when you're listening to it's the third song in the album and it's sort of hard to divorce the fact that it's such a popular song from its context on the record, which I think the first three songs on the album, Stacked Actors, Breakout, and Learn to Fly, are very much heavier songs. Learn to Fly sort of tapers out, but after that you sort of the next song, Gimme Stitches. Is sort of the first swing in the other direction. So in that respect, it's kind of an interesting placement on the album. But the song is so recognizable, it almost takes you out of listening yeah. to it. <laughs> yeah, and it's a it's a hard experience to to critique it. But I mean, honestly, this kind of confirms to me this album why I, I never really was that like into the Foo Fighters. Honestly, for me, it was kind of a situation where I was like, I can either listen to as a, a young person, I was like, I can listen to the Foo Fighters. Or like the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and that's what I, I, I had a lot of familiarity with the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and I kind of gravitated right. towards them. I think they're bands that has, share similar histories, and they mm-hmm. were both very popular in similar times. Yeah, and I think the at least, and I'm not trying to knock down the Foo Fighters, but they've at least the Chili Peppers have had like albums with like five, six, seven singles on it, whereas the Foo Fighters, it's just they never, and it's kind of there's a lot of little bit of wasted space. I don't know about that. And I don't want to go to other albums, like say like, oh, their future albums. But Well, their album before this, The Color and the Shape, had Monkey Wrench, Everlong, My Hero. I mean, yeah. those are three huge songs. And and with this one, Learn to Fly is maybe the only one that's persisted as a song you hear. But, you know, if you look at the list of singles they released, there's five songs out of how many on here? Eleven that were released as singles. And I, I mean, I think Learn to Fly is easily the the best the of them. But I actually, I would argue that my two favorite songs on here above that even are, uh, I love the song Breakout. Yeah. Uh, but my favorite song in here is the eighth song in here next year, which is a ballad, which is kind of funny that I say that it's my favorite song while I also said that some of the slower songs on here are my least favorite. Because I love next year. To me, it's it shows Dave Grohl's strengths as a songwriter. And I think one of the reasons the Foo Fighters remain so popular is because they're strong so- the songs are strong yeah i think the core issue i have with some of their music is that it just it's blandly recorded and some of that i think i can equate honestly to dave Grohl's vocals when you hear a song like breakout really anything on the albums before this one his sort of loud you know yell gr- almost gravelly voice it's super distinct and super energetic but when he's singing more clean and straightforward to me there's just not a whole lot of energy to it in songs like on this album generator and aurora well i think they're nice songs they're just like they seem like nobody like his he seems bored when he's singing them so at the end of the day i think the foo fighters are better than the majority of 
popular rock bands in terms of the songs they write. I just think when it comes to putting them on tape, eh, they're not the most inspired group of musicians. Yeah. Well, and, and that's just it. I mean, I, I think he, and I've heard people say he's not a talented vocalist. I disagree with that because I think he has his own style, which is a big part of vocals. But yeah, I don't, I don't know that he's really kind of that like stable, like, you know, low voice type of singer. Cause it just, I just don't think they record that way. And yeah, I, I know, know he's now, he's really big into like organic recording, like live recording and stuff like that. Right. Right. So. And, and you know, and, and, and it's easy for me to say, I don't really care for this record. I mean, I like it. I, and I shouldn't say that. I don't, I don't not care for this record. It's just not something, and Foo Fighters in general aren't a band that I listen to a lot of. But man, people love these guys. I yeah. some some of my closest friends are, are Foo Fighters fanatics, and I can't hold that against them because I think they are a great band. I, I just think for me, they 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 stick a little bit too close to the safe side of things when they record. At least nowadays, for this album in 1999, I sort of give them the benefit for the of the doubt because there weren't a lot of bands doing this kind of thing back then. At least that were in the mainstream. Uh, so I, I give them some extra marks for the fact that they were sort of revolutionizing a certain niche that would, would be very popular and remains popular. But at the end of the day, when I'm listening to this, I just kind of think there's a little bit more oomph in, in, in the recordings themselves. Because I would almost love to see them live because I, I feel like they would pick up the tempos. Dave Grohl would be a little bit more passionate than the sort of, I almost picture him just sitting down and... I don't know, bobbing his head back. Yeah, well, ironically, last year during his tour, he broke his leg and had to sit down. But I see videos of it, and he's yelling, and he's moving around and stuff. And I almost feel like, um, sort of like, I don't want to compare him to Grateful Dead because they're totally different groups, but I almost feel like you listen to their studio records, and a lot of it falls flat, but you hear the songs live, and it's like, there's the energy. Sometimes it's more than just the song. Sometimes it's the experience. And I almost feel like with Foo Fighters, their fans sort of get it. And I sort of don't get it, you know, like there's an element to this band that I'm just sort of missing because a band doesn't get this popular by making continuously, quote unquote, bland music because it's just it's tough for me to nail down. Yeah. Good stuff, though. What would you rate this, though? One one to ten. I'm going to give it a seven out of ten. I I think it's a solid record. Some uh, incredible songs, uh, you know, at least one classic song. It's an album that I think had one of. America's most popular rock bands sort of come to their own. And it's a, it's a, it's in some ways it's a it's a classic album. You know, it's it's approaching a twenty year old record, and these songs are still played. And uh, while while I don't always think it's the most exciting album to listen to, it's also it's only forty six minutes long. It's not like it's this slog. Hey, you really rip through it. Yeah, it's a nice, it's cool. I like it. I dig it. So a seven out of ten for me. What about you? Uh, Six point five. Same deal. A lot of classic. Hit you know that that's a, a timeless song essentially in our generation. It kind of sounds weird to say that. But. Learn to fly and great music video too. Yeah. If if you anybody's never seen that music video, it's hilarious. It's like Dave Grohl. It's it's people boarding a plane, but it's all Dave Grohl dressed up like the different people. It's hilarious. Mm. <laughs> and yeah, so that's our album of the week, Foo Fighters. Foo Fighters. Foo Fighters. So on to our high-priority news items. The 2017 Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductees, they've been announced. Uh, it's going to be Pearl Jam, Tupac Shakur. Oh, man. Joan Baez. Joan Baez. Journey and the Electric Light Orchestra. And yes, 
Yes. Yes. Yes is in. So they all made it there. So what do you think? Any, anything uh, surprising here to you? Not really. Even Tupac? Tupac. I mean... Hip-hop music being in that rock and roll hall of fame is some of the older folks I know like to recommend. Tupac is not the first rapper to make to be, it. Yeah. And I, I mean, he's kind of... I don't know. Rock and roll is kind of like... To me, rock and roll and hip-hop, while, while in general, from a social standpoint, they have roots in different races... But man, rock and roll and hip hop have almost the same uh, uh, genesis in terms of their going back to our whole our this whole episode's about rebellion. Both hip hop and rock music have similar roots in rebellion and, and going against the status quo. So I, for me, I don't give a shit if they put pop or rap rap, uh, rap music in the rock and roll hall of fame. Just make it the music hall of fame. Who cares? Yeah. And Tupac is certainly one of the best ever. So yeah, ever ever done. Any other people in here stand out to you? Well, like Journey, they've been around forever. See, that's the only Joan one. Bias, I don't know much about her. She's a folk singer in the in the sixties and seventies. Um, Journey is the only one I kind of wish wouldn't be on here because I don't really like them. I think they're super boring, and that's like I'm drunk at a bar at two o'clock in the morning, and I'm gonna play. Don't stop. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not that good. See, I'm happy that Electric Light Orchestra and Yes are getting in because. If you know the history of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, they're sort of historically lined against progressive rock. And yes, I think has been eligible for 17 years. Oh, my God. And they're just getting it now. And if, if you know anything about like classic rock, yes is like one of the best bands. I mean, they've released some of the most classic records, Close to the Edge, Tales of Topographic Oceans. These dudes are so fragile, probably their most famous album. They are one of the best bands in history. And the fact that it took that long, and same with ELO, um, it's just a bummer, and Rush went through a similar thing a couple years ago where Rush had been eligible for like 12 or 13 years, and they only got in when they opened up a fan voting thing. So I, I believe it's every year one of these nominees, people who fit the eligible category, get picked by general audiences, and I think Yes was the group this year that got picked. Nice. Good and for Ru- them. Yeah, that's like To me, that's the highest compliment you can get. Well, right. music is is very much a fan business. Yeah. Like, and I think you said that Rush had, uh, or their front man of Rush had said, like, we're nothing without our fans. Well, right, because when they finally got inducted, there was a group of people who said, well, you should just not show up and show, you know, you know, rebel against it. And Getty Lee was like, our fans have been clamoring for this for years. Why mm-hmm. wouldn't we show up? We're not petty like that. What are we going to show by not showing up? But, uh, you know, and then Pearl Jam got in this year as well. And this was their first year eligible, yeah. which I mean, that's their... Right. Hugely popular. Absolutely deserving. Uh, but every now and then you'll see a group who first year eligible, they get in right away. And yeah. Pearl, Pearl Jam, uh, Metallica was another group that got in right away. I bet you think the Pearl Jam vocalist, I don't remember what his name Eddie is. Eddie Vedder. Eddie Vedder is going to be like, I've had a great year. The Cubs won the World Series and now I'm in the <laughs> Rock and Roll Hall He's thing. just going to chug a bottle of wine and yeah, be like, go Cubs. Yeah, that's all he's going to say. <laughs> They're like kids that were born in, because they were like really big in what, like the 80s? The 90s. 90s. Early 90s, though, Mm. wasn't it? Their first album, 10, is considered like one of the greatest records ever. Ever made. It's got the song Jeremy in black. I mean, uh, amazing record. Yeah. (laughs) 10. Doesn't have shit on 2001. 
Enough said. The cr- Dr. Dre? The Chronic. Didn't NWA, NWA get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame already? I think they did. Yeah. They had to have before Tupac. But then do you like, that's what question I have is, so NWA is in, does Dr. Dre now get inducted as an individual Yeah, artist? because the, all the Beatles are in as a group, and then all four members are in individually for their respective careers. So then can P. Diddy get inducted <laughs> under his various names? If... No, that's ridiculous. That'd be crazy. <laughs> First of all, I don't think he's going to because I don't think he's done anything. I'm in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame like 10 times because I've had like 20 different names. No, it doesn't work that way. No, and I remember for the longest time the Beatles were in, George Harrison and John Lennon were the first two to get in mm-hmm. solo, and then Paul McCartney. And then for like 15 years, Ringo was the only holdout, and it was only like two or three years ago where he finally got in. So good for Ringo. Good for Ringo. Good for Ringo. Get it in, son. I think, you know, think it's kind of fun to think of. You know, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, take it as seriously as well. I've been there. They're, uh, the location is in Cleveland. It's a seriously incredible place. Um, it's kind of fun to look at the bands that are eligible every year and try to guess which ones will get in right away. And Pearl Jam was one where as soon as they popped up, Everybody was like, they'll get in right away. Yeah. And I think the only two bands of the last like 20 years that I can think of that will get in their first year are Radiohead, who without question will get in right away. Yeah. And to me, I think the White Stripes will as well. Can you think of anybody else? I mean, I guess now that hip hop is, is good. It's tough. It sounds really dumb, but like Eminem. Yeah, he would be a little bit later, though. Yeah, because what is it? How many, did you say how many years it was? It's a... It's like, well, I know football is like five, so they're not like dead by the time they're acknowledged. It's, there's, a, here, I'm looking it up. I, I used to know it. Okay, from the world... Okay, uh, okay. So to become eligible for induction to the Rock and Roll of Fame, an artist must wait 25 years from the release of their first record. And that's, I believe, going to be first official record. So 25 years, so that means... okay. Marshall so, Mathers LP was like 19... I don't even know what that 90 was. 90-something. 1926. Uh, <laughs> I was like, what the hell? No, no, no. Uh, let's see. Eminem discography. Was it 96? The Slim Shady LP came up before that. See, his debut studio album was called Infinite, though, and came out in 1996. So he would be eligible in 2021. Wow. And, say, and that's the same with the White Stripes because their first record came out in, 2000, or in 1996 as well. And Radiohead shouldn't be too far away there. I think they're a little bit closer to 1990, though. Radiohead. There's actually, okay, uh, 1993. So Radiohead is, in a, is eligible in what? I can't math right now. What's five plus three? 19, uh, 2018. So they should be. In just two years, um, but uh, so Eminem, I think Eminem will get in as well. Absolutely, yeah, I think he should. He was a big as he was a huge force in Kanye terms West. of yeah. I think I honestly think so. If you, I know his more recent stuff and his recent behavior has been ridiculous. It's more but more polarizing. Like sure. his his first three albums were just amazing. For sure. No, like, yeah. I, you can't, you just, just argument can't argument, argue, argue, wait, no, you, you can't argue, argue, you can't argument that, no, you can't argue <laughs> with that. 
Yeah, well, I don't know. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is kind of a fun thing. I know it really grinds people's gears when the bands they love. And there are some, like, really strange omissions. Like, Iron Maiden, I don't think, is in there, which is ridiculous. Yeah, that's dumb. But even you go early, every now and then you'll see, like, like really early groups not get in until later. And Yes is one of those bands who's been in, who they've been eligible since, like, 1998 or something. Uh, Jethro Tull isn't in there. They've been eligible for like 20 years. Captain Beefheart and his magic band, I think, has the record for being eligible for like 26 years, and they've never even been nominated. And maybe they're not as well known, but they they really laid the bricks down for certain genres of music. So Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is sort of a joke on some level, but at the same time, it's kind of a cool thing too, right? Yeah. Celebrate some tunage. Well, it's like... You know, with like sports and stuff, like they have sports hall of fames, and sports are so statistic based, you right. know, where it's like he scored more touchdowns than any other quarterback or wide receiver or whatever, where you can say, like, yeah, he should be in the hall of fame. Whereas music, it's like, well, I love them, but do you, do you love this band? No. And it's kind of like more, I don't know, it's a, a huge gray area. Yeah. But it's cool. Metallica's in there, mm-hmm. I would assume. Yeah, ACDC. Like they got in like two years ago. ACDC's probably been in there for a little bit. I don't know. They better be in there. I don't get your thing with them. Hall of Fame. I'm looking it up. Let's see. They have a Rock Hall page. Yeah, they got in in 2003. So. Overrated. <clears throat> Nate's going to punch me in the face. <laughs> Bottles breaking. I don't know. No, I get it. I'm just I'm just messing with you, buddy. Don't start. <laughs> Don't stop till you get Michael Jackson. I believe he's in there, as he should be. He better be. They should, yeah, it should not be the rock. It should be the music hall of fame. At this point, why why limit yourself? Michael Jackson wasn't rock. Well, he had like some rock. Because that's like one of the things people hold against it. They're like, well, Tupac isn't rock. So you shouldn't be in there. It's like no, you just don't like rap music and don't want it in there. Who cares? Their whole just drop the rock and roll thing. Who cares? Music Who's is way this bigger. Tupac Shakur. Who's this Tepic Shakur? Go so. watch Men and St- Wait. What was the Juice? Have you ever seen that movie? Yeah. Yeah. You got the Juice. That's an amazing movie. That is. Anyways, good cult. Good cult movie for sure. Um, the other big thing is that Bob Dylan, he actually accepted his controversial Nobel Prize in literature, of course. Yes. But um, he didn't attend the ceremony to accept the award. His absence wasn't meant as a statement. Uh, Dylan was uh, quiet by simply because he was simply busy. And um, did he like accept it behind the scenes? No. Uh, he, he was the reason he didn't show up was because he had had I don't know what they were, but he said he had things he couldn't reschedule. He didn't mean that showing up is some sort of insult. He just couldn't he didn't feel like breaking his prior obligations. Um, so musician Patty Smith, who's like a rock pop punk rock a musician, mainly from the 70s and 80s, she showed up on his behalf, I believe read his speech that he penned. And performed one of his songs. So he did accept the award. He just didn't do it in person. And some people were like, oh, that's so snarky of him. But he's he's like this 77-year-old man who's like, I got other stuff to do. I don't know what to say. Yeah. <laughs> so he, he, he took it. A lot of people thought he wasn't going to acknowledge it at all. But he apparently was very humbled. He just, you know, he, he respects his obligations, I suppose. Yeah. 
as any good gentleman does. Somebody like Bob Dylan winning an, at this point in his life, winning a Nobel Prize is just sort of like whatever. Yeah. <laughs> he can put it next to his Grammys and his Oscar and his, who knows, his he can put it next to his Pulitzer Prize. I mean, this guy doesn't care. He just wants to play music. <laughs> That's like the, the um, person that created fantasy football or the group that created fantasy football, which is like a huge cultural thing. They got this like acknowledgement from the U.S. government, and they wanted to do this huge ceremony. And only one of the guys out of these twelve showed up, and he was like, just totally unengaged. And they asked him like, "What do you think of this?" He's like, "Do you realize this is like this means this is the end of my life?" Which is true. It's like well, that, that's when you're at the very end when like, oh, you're being like acknowledged. The Nobel Prize or like the government is recognizing you for anything. Sure, it's the end. Well, I, I I think we talked about it before. Some my one of my favorite um, reactions I think was unfortunately Le- Leonard Cohen, who passed away soon after he he said this. But when he heard that Bob Dylan was awarded the Nobel Prize for Literature, I think his quote was like, "That's like telling that Ever- it's like giving Mount Everest the tallest mountain award." It's like, of of, of course. course, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, and yeah, I mean Bob Dylan said it all, and it. It's just so funny. He he released an album earlier this year, Bob Dylan did, uh, and it was all like, you know, American Standard covers and like Frank Sinatra covers. And I was reading all these like hostile comments on his Facebook page saying like, why don't you write more music? We deserve this. And I'm like, he's, how many songs has this asshole written for you people? And you guys, you guys, people are just never satisfied. Well, we were, didn't we report, uh, we didn't report, but we said on this show, they uncovered his like, warehouse of songs and it's like he's already the guy's already written tens of thousands of songs or whatever it is i don't know that it's tens of thousands but thousands of songs yeah fuck off (laughs) yeah people like just fuck off you you have no (laughs) claim to say this oh go write us more shit the guy's written stuff yeah people were begging on this covers album of like these really relaxed like american standards and it's like the dude is playing music he loves Go listen to one of the other 36 albums he's recorded in his life. What do you want from this, dude? It's just like, how entitled are people? stop. Like, people need to stop fucking complaining. That's like, and you could say that about, like, Star Wars fans who are bitching about these new movies, or, uh, like, Metallica fans are really bad, saying, we deserve better. It's like, you don't deserve a goddamn thing. Listen to you. You are a spoiled brat. And if you think about, like, Sinatra, like, one of the greatest performers of this genre, of our generation... He he got towards the end of his like career, and people didn't give him shit about this stuff. You know, yeah. they didn't expect him to like write more stuff. And all the different the Beatles people, well, they kind of broke up, and several of them died, unfortunately. But like, what is this? Social media. Yeah, people just they feel everyone has a voice. Yeah. We've talked about this several times. It's just it was one of the, when I was reading all these reactions to people who were like, "Oh, well, Bob Dylan just he's so and he loves himself so much he doesn't need to show up for this award." It's like. Who are you? Like, why do you, why do you get to tell all of us what Bob Dylan thinks? Do you not? Have you, does he correspond to this? Do you just shut up? And I guess it's sort of uh, paradoxical for us to be, you know, judging all these people for judging him or whatever. But it's just to me, it's like there's this level of entitlement people have for this sort of thing that is just totally unjustified. It's like like or don't like something, but don't sit here and think you know better, or you think you deserve better. There's always something else you could be doing and sitting here stewing because you don't like this one thing. You're just wasting your own damn, t- damn time. Just yeah. If you didn't like Bob Dylan's cover album of Frank Sinatra's song, don't listen to it. 
Yeah, listen to some other album. But don't like don't tell a guy who's seventy five plus year old that we deserve better from you. It's like, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? You are an insane person. <laughs> God, people, social media. Ugh. It's the thing. So, Ethan, what are you obsessed about right now? Two words. Dose words. Star Wars. <laughs> That's it. I don't need to say anything else. For you're gonna, you saw it again on Tuesday. Yeah, I'll probably see it again Monday, and at least one more time. I want to see it in 3D because I didn't see it in 3D yet. So, but um, you know, reading comics and books and shit. All that biz. Loving every second of it. Yeah, man. Fuck the haters. Yeah, we just <laughs> we just talked about that. One. <laughs> Uh, and for me, well, honestly, I'm really obsessed with this T-shirt right now. Visit <laughs> the one I showed you before. <laughs> it's honestly, is it well, a great? Yeah. Well, explain what the shirt is. It says uh, "Visit Tropical Yavin 4. which all you Star Wars nerds know exactly what that is. But if it, yep. if you're if you're one of the uninitiated in the original Star Wars film, and then of course in the newly released Star Wars Rogue One, produced by Disney. Directed yeah. by Gareth I'm, I'm really big into like that's cult, where like rebel that's shirts. that's where the rebel base is located on yeah. the moon of Yavin Four, and it's this badass shirt that says like Yavin Four, and it's got this cool like sunset and logo like, on it. I'm really big about um, like tropical looking landscapes with like oh, so you probably just died during the last scene in this movie, yeah, because it's like a tropical planet. Yeah, because I love I love tropical. I'm really obsessed with planet Earth. That's one thing I've been. It's kind of a lifelong obsession, so it fits with this. But like the whole uh, series, Planet Earth. Didn't Planet Earth two just start? Isn't yeah, it, that's like on now, isn't yeah, it? That's going on right now. Sweet. So I'm gonna get like the 4K version of that. Have you seen um, the series Life? Yeah. Okay, that's really good too. That's good. I think Planet Earth is like the OG. Oh yeah. Version of everything. Classic. Oh, but my favorite thing in the world that I, I kind of saved myself as a little treat every occasion is the seasonal forest version of it. That I, I, I could not be, you could be like, you could do anything to me. And I, as long as I'm watching the seasonal forest, I'll be fine. Is that like one of the episodes? Yeah, it's one of the episodes. And it's, it's all about seasonal forests. So and, do you really like the movie Fern Gully, The Last Rainforest? The animated picture? You have no, any idea what that is? I have no idea what that is. Damn you, Nate. <laughs> Damn but you. I really like Planet Earth. I bet you. <laughs> My favorite um, Planet Earth episode. You know what? I, I don't know Planet Earth as much as I know life. And I think life is more segregated into like different levels of species and crap, if mm-hmm. I remember. You know what I like in all those series? Screw picking. picking <laughs> wow. Screw picking a specific one. I like close-up, time-lapse shots of flowers growing you will never see anything cooler yeah and well it's that it's it's all the and there's like different close-ups like they do the seasonal birds yeah which if you watch the after thing these guys like camped out in these like horrid conditions for days in like these little huts (laughs) yeah it's crazy but to get like a two second shot of this bird what's really weird is that brits brits understand it more than americans do but peter attenberg who um is like the announcer for I mean, the David whole, Attenborough. David, David Attenborough. Yeah, yeah I can yeah. never say his name right. Yeah, he, he did the version of Life I like because yeah. they did one with Oprah, which isn't nearly as good. Anyways, continue. Fuck Oprah. Whoa. He doesn't need to be on this Planet Earth business. Woo! But no, 
I love you, Oprah. No, but that, yeah, Seasonal Forest, man, is the best one. And it, because it speaks to where we, you and I both grew up in Wisconsin. We grew up in a seasonal forest atmosphere. Yeah. Here in this wonderful place called Wisconsin. I kind of wish there was no snow, though. You know? Yeah. It's the worst. I've been to Hawaii. Hawaii. <laughs> I could deal with that yeah. <laughs> all the time. But, um, yeah, so that's obsession. So there's been the. Rebellion. Rebellion episode. You got her. Rebel One. Go see it. Just go see it. Rebel One. Check it out. Live it. Go see Rebel One, the non-existent Star Wars movie. That's actually called Rogue One. (laughs) Rebel One. Oh, Jesus. I'd watch that. Rebel. That's what they're going to do. They could have called it Rebel One. Rogue One. Yeah. Great, Great film. I mean, you Star Wars nerds out there will love it. Everybody else will probably just enjoy it. Yeah. Yep. So... This has been Weekly Neurosis. Yes, sir. Rebellion episode. I'm Nate. I'm Ethan. And everyone, please take care.